This is To The Point. A rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Hey, what's up to the point listeners? It's your boy, Chris Yano, the host of To The Point Home Services Podcast. And we are live at ACA in the Big Easy. And the Big Easy was a little tough on me last night. So I'm going to do my best to get through this podcast. Thankfully, I've got uh, two great guys on the podcast with me. And uh, this one here is going to be a banger. It's going to be one for the books, I'm hoping. Uh, probably two of the best dressed guys here at, at ACA. Um, we have Mr. Frank DeMarco from Service Champions and also my friend Ken Goodrich, Gettle, both sitting looking at me. Shaking, <laughs> shaking. Wondering what's going to happen. Shaking our heads. Next. <laughs> Wondering how I'm going to do this time around. Uh, both previous guests on the podcast, great guys, build big, have huge businesses, lots of. Uh, um, like obviously, lots of clout in the industry. This is going to be good. These are two West Coast Titans, and um, and I'm excited to get through some of these questions. Like, and this first one is a doozy. Like right out of the gate, I just want to get after it. So um, everyone's going to everyone's going to play nice. Um, and I thought, well, what better way to start this thing off by asking? You know, I'm, actually, I'm going to go ahead and start with you, Ken. Ken, Mr. Goodrich, <laughs> what? You see Frank sitting across from you, right? You know, he's at service champions and you know, reputable business, big company. What does Frank or service champions do better than you? Ah, good question. <clears throat> well, let me qualify this, start with this one statement. I'm obviously much cuter than Frank. <laughs> so More let's hair. just get that out there. I'm much cuter. So no matter what I say after this, I still have that going for me. So you started off with the opposite of what I asked you. But okay, here we go. So he's better looking. There we go. All right. Would you ask I, the question? I agree. <laughs> would you ask the question one more time? God. See, you just you already derailed yourself. What does what does Frank or what does service champions do better than than you? Well, I think that service champions, they do a lot of things better than, uh, than what we do. Uh, uh, I, but I think that uh, one of the key items is they have been dedicated to the service agreement or club membership model from day one. When Leland Smith founded the company, that's all he could see. He understood that in Southern California, you don't have the benefit of weather, right? It's not a weather-dependent market, even though that market is the largest HVAC market in the country, all of LA, um, Southern California, uh, it's still, you don't get a lot of weather assist. You know, we're in Las Vegas where, you know, it's hot, <clears throat> Phoenix, Tucson. So they, they uh, dedicated themselves to this, the service agreement model, stick to it. It is the core of their business as I see it. You know, I'm, I'm looking from the outside as I see it. And do they do it better than anyone else in the industry as far as I know? That's very thoughtful. Have you ever heard him be so nice? I, I, Ken's always nice when I'm around. <laughs> I don't always mean to, but when I see him, he's always nice. <laughs> nice to me. I mean, you know. He's I, a sweetheart. <laughs> okay, Frank. Hey, now it's your turn <laughs> to look gazingly into Ken's eyes <laughs> and, t and tell him what he does better than you besides look 
be well, more, we, we more got that part. Got he, okay. We sorted that one early. Okay. Um, look, I think you know one of the things we try to do is I think it's processes and and continuing to make businesses. Gettle businesses are, are, that's impressive to me. That's hard to do. Just any change, any wrinkle in any business, when we go into them, that's difficult. To be steadfast in, I'm going to create this brand, That there has to be processes behind that. I, you know, I don't know much about it, but I know that every business he buys goes under that brand and they're successful. And so I would say, you know, the ability to do that consistently is, is certainly something, it's a different way we go about it. We want to keep a local brand, um, but clearly this business is very valuable. And I think that ability to build under one name, he certainly has, you know, set really the bar for everybody else who wants to do it. And with that has to be processes. I mean, as these things scale, you can't, you can't just remember it. There has to be a process for converting a business and what you're going to do. So that, that would be my take on it from what we've watched you know, at a distance, I have the advantage of, you know, Leland and, and Ken have been friends for a long, long time. And, and so I hear it from Leland and I think it's a very interesting, and he's the only one doing it that I'm aware of. You're the only one that takes businesses and says, I am going to create Gettle and I'm going to move that across the country. And clearly he's doing that well. Again, it's not a path we pick, but the process piece has to be there else he wouldn't be successful doing it. Yeah. It's actually a great segue because I mean, he's, he says he's trying to ghettoize the nation. Um, but you guys have two completely different strategies. And so I'm curious, which one's, which one's the best strategy? And, and maybe that's subjective. I mean, it is subjective, I guess, based on whatever your plan is. But you do have, you have a house of different brands. I mean. Yeah, yeah I would. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, you know, it's like when I look at an individual business, when we're going to invest, I don't think there's one you know, there's one idea that makes, you know, really good money. Leland Smith built a business back to Ken's point. Like, look, I, I have luxury. I got some great mentors, Dave Geiger, Leland Smith. I mean, I get to sit across from Leland for the last five years across from the hallway from the guy. And I was with Dave and Mark, you know, for eight years. Um, I, I don't know if there's a right answer. You know, I think different today, the different sponsors in the private equity groups have what they believe, you know, Ken's obviously done very well, you know, a couple of different times with the, the Gettle platform. For us, we felt like we want to continue to have the entrepreneurial spirit in a business. And so we have an umbrella where we're going to look at, you know, purchasing and maybe some systems, but that company has to fit with us. And then we're going to leverage a local brand. I would say we're, we're I, I can't say we're necessarily different than Ken, but we're going to look for bigger businesses. You know, I, I know all, all the other CEOs or a lot of them at the bigger platforms. So we we have less at a much bigger number because we feel like we have expertise to run those bigger companies. You know, we, we have less, you know, almost 20 companies, but it, the, the business is scaling pretty nicely. Um, that's not to say we're right. That's just to say that's the way we go about it. And our partner, our sponsor over there, you know, with Odyssey, they feel like that's a, that's a good path for us to be on. And we continue to perform, you know, when you talk to enough bankers and people in the industry, we, we want to maintain a, a good profitability, but I couldn't answer that there's one is better than the other one. I think there's a lot of great models out there. Certainly he's got one that's doing very well. Ours is a hybrid of don't touch companies is, you know, when you get a hold of them, but we don't want to do too much to them. We yeah. just want to see if we can enhance them. So I don't know, you know, Ken, your thought, but I, that's where I'm at is there's a lot of great models back to my original point. 
Leland's belief was like, hey, everything's got to be this way in service champions. I'm like, you know, there's some other 25 plus percent <laughs> businesses that are doing it differently. And it doesn't mean his was wrong. It just means you got to be open to different ways to do it. Got it. And you clearly are wanting to catalyze the nation. Like, why did you, why did you pick that path? Like, why? Well, you have like, I think, you, I mean, you still have a few businesses, though, that are still run, operating on the, as their original name. Uh, right now, right, that are on the ghetto brand, but the play is to ghettoize the nation, right? So it is to be one brand. Right. So we currently have a couple that are still their their legacy brand name, but, you know, we have plans to, we call them ghettoize them over the court, the first 12 months. And we've been very successful at, at that with our process. Now, that's not to say if I went into a market and we found a meaningful sized business that had years of experience and a meaningful brand and a meaningful uh, management team and, you know, large volume, I probably wouldn't touch that. And maybe somehow just kind of put our name alongside a Gettle company, something like that. And, you know, we'll sort that out later. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that, but let me back up. Let me say this. The reason why I started this strategy is because Gettle air conditioning um, was founded in 1939, and the Gettle brothers invented the residential air conditioner. They took the Lewis Carrier's industrial design, they applied it to a small box, and made a residential air conditioner. They used to manufacture evaporative coolers, mass produce them. And so they made a package unit that would attach to where the old cooler went. So uh, over the course of time, uh, my dad got in the business and he became a Gettle dealer, and then I was 10 years old holding the flashlight for him, and every night and weekend and all summer long, I worked alongside of my dad fixing air conditioners, fixing Gettle air conditioners. And so Gettle was really part of my family's heritage. Uh, when my dad passed away uh, at a pretty young age, um, I bought the business from my mom, and uh, Gettle was the only company that would give me credit probably because I was 25 and I had a mullet. Didn't you fire your mom? <laughs> yeah, I had to fire my mom once. <laughs> Keep bringing that up. So, yes, I did fire my mom. Uh, but I kept paying her. That's She's the only person I've ever fired and continued to pay her for 30 years. That was the opposite of my father. I got fired, still had to come in and work and didn't get paid. Oh. <laughs> so, anyway, so Gettle, you know, really meant a lot to me. And when I had an opportunity to buy it, it was really – on its last leg and it was ready to shut the doors. And so to rally cry my team around, you know, we're going to take this brand. It was, we're going to take this legacy brand and take it back to the place that it deserves a nationwide brand, get the nation because they invented it. So that was my cry for my team to build the culture about our why and what are we doing here? Right? So I started there and let me give you a little back, another backstory. 1997, Leland and I both sold some companies to ARS. And so we worked together back then and we saw lots of mistakes. And that was the, one of the original roll up times of our industry. A lot of mistakes. They'd go in immediately and just change the brand name without integration. And that wrecked companies. They left them out too long and, and took out the management team. That broke companies. Everything that we learned there was pretty much what not to do in, in that first era of ARS. I've been involved in ARS a couple more times, and they certainly have got, uh, you know, more experienced management teams and really pulled the business together. It's a whole different place and a, and a very impressive business today. But back then, no one really knew what they were doing. So I kind of had that, you know, influence of, 
I want to build. I I don't want to go down that route, have all these different brands and problems and this and that. And I guess the third thing is, is that I've always had this dream that I want to build a company like um, Discount Tire. So Discount Tire, guy starts a tire store, you know, creates a great culture. Everyone that works in the company starts airing up tires first. They work their way up. Promotion from within builds 4,000 stores, $4 billion company privately held, uh, a, a nationwide brand. And I, that was my vision and how I wanted to really pull this ghetto thing together. I know it's not popular, certainly not the popular move today. I can't move as fast. I'm not, uh, can't uh, put the revenue numbers up like these other guys are doing. Uh, but I think I'm building a, a much stronger foundation and a stronger culture where, you know, any of my managers can go to any branch, run it the same way, and, you know, we'll have some more longevity to the thing. That's what I see. SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Got it. So from when I, whenever I get involved with any private equity whatsoever and I'm having to work with the specific brand in a market, it always, I mean, I'll give a good example, any hours, a customer of ours, right? So any hours, obviously a monster brand in Utah, they come into Phoenix and that brand has no brand equity. Right. So it doesn't do us any good in the Arizona market because there's no brand equity. But if you like, you got, you have wills down in uh, what's San Antonio, right? Um, You would leverage that brand because if you came in and just changed it, then you would have no brand equity to run. It would be brutal for a marketing company or a guy like me trying to create business. If I had to work with no brand equity, it's it's difficult. It's like basically bringing a new company. I I will say though that the wills, uh, the Wills deal was probably one of our best executed that we've done to ghettoize a company. You know, they were doing 11 million in sales um, and we bought the business and then we started co-marketing and we started talking on the radio about Will and I being friends and we're coming together and we're partnering now and we're just really informing the market what's going to happen. And if you just tell them, it'll be okay. It's when you surprise them and don't tell them is when the customers get pissed off, right? So, we were conditioning the market over time and meld that business together. And as soon as we hit uh, 21, um, the thing took off. And we 4X that business from its original mm-hmm. revenue in three years. And by and still changed it to a gettle. But like, just like you said, it's a, it's a process. It's a detailed and arduous process. And, and I can see why you'd want to buy a nice $50 million business that's cash flowing at 20% and leave it alone. That sounds like a real easy plan, too. <laughs> both can work. Right? Both, yeah, can work. I, both yeah. do work. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to go into uh, just a little segue into <clears throat> some talking about kind of your guys' management styles. Um, I've got, I mean, I've known both of you guys quite a while. You and I have gotten to do business together mm-hmm. 
lot of years ago. Um, and so I know both of you pretty well, but you guys have different management, different management styles. Um, what is the difference? Like, do you think, I mean, what do you see like between what's your guys' difference in your management styles? I, I probably couldn't answer for Ken's. I know, you know, he, he's very involved with his businesses and he's, and he's again, creating a brand. Um, Look, one thing I've had to learn how to do when you have 20 locations and hundreds of millions in business, you can't do, you know, one of the things I do is get out of the business. <laughs> the private equity firm is like, Frank, we know you know how to run these and, you know, you've got a great track record. Uh, I can't really say for style because I, I couldn't say from Ken's perspective, perspective, but for me, it's, we're going to let people, you know, we're going to elevate people that are really good. We're, we're, we, like Ken, we work on who's the next level of management. That is where I spend my time, that and M&A. We have four regional vice presidents. We treat them like division presidents that are very seasoned in the industry. They each run, you know, give or take 150 to 200 million each. And they are from the, you know, they just, they know it. They, they continue to, you know, use that entrepreneurial piece in those businesses. So I'd say the only difference in Ken's last name about a $50 million business, we don't do nothing. We just, we, we're not, to, we're not far down the spectrum like he is. What we'll say is, hey, here's some great ideas. You fit on the team. You know, here's some things that could work. Usually those things that work bring them two or three or four points on the bottom line. And because they're investors, they like that. <laughs> um, I would just say culturally for me is, you know, growing up in the business, again, I can't speak to a difference, but what I would say is I've said this before and I, I, I'm pretty public with it, that we are not a poke people in the chest, like get it done business. We're going to put our arm around people and say, you know, one, great job, or two, if you're, if you're not doing what we think you should be doing, why not? Um, and, you know, there's ways to do that, but we're very humble. We're, we try to, we, we keep our heads down. We don't, we don't want to talk about it. I mean, I, I talk a little bit about our companies, but I always feel like we have work to do, and that's from Dave Geiger and Leland Smith and probably my father, right? They're all, they always think, and Leland will say, like, everything's broken all the time. <laughs> you know, that gets, that, that gets tiring, but he was, he was, he was right. Like, you, you know, the management team is always like, what can we do better? And you got to encourage that. And I'd say the, the other pivot for me over my career is, you know, we, when times are tough, that's the time to be a really good leader. It's, it's not when it's not like just, hey, why aren't you doing more? It's, hey, guys, let's keep our heads up. You know, tough month. Keep at it. We're doing a lot of great things. Um, even when I'm on all our financial reviews with all our GMs. So, again, can't speak to a difference. I know Ken's reputation is really good in the industry and he create again created a great business and brand it sounds similar to me um but i've learned i've learned along the way and 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 people change but we're, we need to be great leaders not just managers and that's cliche but the reality is we have to have great leadership in these companies to understand everybody's dealing with something in our companies from the guy unloading the trucks all the way through you know gms and our c-level people Everyone's dealing with something. Try to understand that a little bit. It's not we're doing heating and air conditioning. You know, people's <laughs> chests open on a table working on them. You know, so let's let's be supportive and let's let's see how we can help people. Having said that, we are unapologetic for expectations. We are going to get where we want to get to. What we believe is people will follow that and chase that because they want to and they want to work hard. Versus, why is my phone ringing? You know, on a Sunday at 4 p.m. and Frank wants to know something about a financial. It's yeah, I've been looking at it and. How do we do it? But so I can't really, again, can't speak the differences. I, I've gotten to know Ken a little bit, but I, I know he's done a great job with his companies. And I would guess it, to be successful doing this, you have to have similar, you know, outlooks on them. What do you do different, KG? 
Well, um, from my observation only, I would say that Frank is more of a, of a high-caliber servant leader, and I am more of a mad scientist. <laughs> That's what I would say. Because <laughs> when I watch him and how he interacts with people, it's very calm and thoughtful and, and uh, engaging. And sometimes I, you know, I'm an innovator and I'm always thinking and coming up with the new ideas and such. I have to have somebody like a Frank between me and the team. Now, I will say that over the years I've aged you know, like fine wine. You and softened and I've softened it up a little bit. You know, back in the early days, it was kind of rough. It'd be a whole different discussion. But now I think uh, I think I have a very good rapport with my team and they respect me. And, and I think they look at me in terms of a more of the visionary innovator in the company. I think they probably look at Frank more as the leader of the company. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. I Look, I, I again, I, I'll go back to I had the luxury of you know, sitting, and I still see Leland almost daily, but getting to work with, you know, back in 08 through, you know, 14 with, with, with Dave and Mark and, and with Leland, you know, you, you, you have to figure out in those roles that you're talking about how to, you know, take the current situation and know that you're still moving this business along and have to have, I've developed probably that piece where I want to understand. And, and the reality is, Kent, I, you know, I grew up an owner, but that was it. Once we sold our business to, to Lennox slash service experts in the late nineties, I've worked for someone. And so I've had great owners like Ken, like Leland, like Dave, like Mark. And I've had to figure out how to be that in between because right, it was their money on the line. It was their vision. And I could understand and interpret it, but I think it's a great you know, I think you articulated it pretty well there is the difference. Yeah, and I actually think that, that the, because you were sold to Lennox early on, it forced you to become a better manager yeah. and a better leader. Whereas we, you know, Leland and I, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, we were just scrappy on, entrepreneurs trying to keep yeah, payroll, right? right? Yeah. So, and, and we didn't probably develop those skills later. So you probably had a longer runway for that. I think that's, I think that's, Spot on. Yeah. I mean, definitely was an educational process yeah. uh, post-private ownership and growing up in it. You, we were talking, uh, again, you and I on the flight over, about you're kind of in, like, the perfect position that you want to be in at this phase, right? Like, you're talking about, like, hey, I kind of just get to be the nice guy. I kind of get to go <laughs> in and be the rah-rah guy. And that's the position. Remember we were talking about that on the flight over? <clears throat> that's the position that you're in now, so you're kind of – you get to – he doesn't have to go in and be the hard ass. <laughs> yeah, well, it used to be, you know, when I'd show up at a branch, you know, there was a little tense and everyone was head down and it's very serious. Now, oh, shit, now they're getting out of their desk. Ken, how you doing? They're talking to me and I'm patting them on the back. Yeah, I like that role better. It suits me better. It feels better, doesn't it? It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to shift, shift gears. We're about 20 or so minutes into this thing. I want to talk about... Um, uh, on the sales side of things, uh, selling like sales, t selling texts versus like comfort advisors and that kind of conversation. Um, I'm not sure uh, what if you prefer one or the other, Frank um, or Ken. But what's your guys' thoughts on like the better strategy there? Like, I'll tell you selfishly from a uh, marketing perspective, having selling texts is fantastic <clears throat> because most people want to repair it, not replace it. So it's easier for me to go after a repair lead if I've got a selling tech, typically a good close ratio or whatever. But um, 
what's your guys' thoughts on like what's the better strategy there? And 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 is is it what do you what are you guys using? Selling tech versus actual comfort advisors or whatever the hell you call them. Um, well, I've used it all and, and, and all kinds of other stuff in the past. But uh, today, you know, our, our technicians, you know, go through our process and they identify, you know, what the cost and, and the strategy is to repair things today and discuss um, the options for a lead to where one of our comfort advisors or salespeople will come out and talk to them and, and close that sale. So we're not, the, our technicians do not complete the sale. Not to say, though, the lead set process is a very important piece of this thing and setting up the, um, the, the, setting up the uh, call correctly for the comfort advisor to come out. So they're an integral part. So I would say they get it up, you know, they probably get the sale done about 60%, 70% maybe sometimes, and then the closure comes in and he'll go through the options with the customer. That's how we run it. Got it. Right. Uh, it's a mix, um, depending on what, what we're investing in the brand. We don't make somebody do one or the other, but even in, you know, in Brea in Leland's business that he founded at service champions in Brea, there's a mix. We have true salespeople and then we have technicians that sell. Um, and typically what I see companies that, you know, for us, I, I think there's a lot of great ways to do it growing up and spending the majority of my career. It's a traditional turn process. What I've learned is that there are very talented technicians that can sell, whereas in the past I used to think, geez, could a true salesman, just I'll use that term, could they get more out of the sale than the technician could? Oh, you mean like a bigger ticket? Full system, Whatever. more options, et cetera, with more formal sales training. Leland's platform or his business was, you could teach those guys those same things. They were really selling, they were really salesmen. They were just wearing a uniform and tearing down the yeah, systems, yeah. you know? Um, but I think there's two, you know, I think there's both good ways. I think what most companies struggle with is which one do I do? And that can be tricky because now a salesman's wondering why they didn't get the lead and why it didn't turn. But I think the challenge is that Consumers are getting more educated. They look up stuff right while you're in the home, yeah. <laughs> right while they're on the computer. And if you're not savvy and you don't have good training as to why your company's building a good value versus other people, then it just boils down to a price issue. And if you've just come through from a technical side, sometimes without good formal sales training, to Ken's point, that's, that's hard to overcome. But we have models that use them both. The majority of our business is a true turn process. Technician goes, turns a lead, or there's a training visit to help Somebody walk through that tune-up and talk to the customer. And I think one of the challenges with selling techs that, that service champions overcome is when you're smaller and you don't have the resources, you're really not on top of every single call to really track their yep. closing rate, right? And yep. really hold them accountable. And, and I know that Leland had perfected that system to the point, as I understand, I hope I'm not giving out any secrets here. You can erase it if we do, but... You know that I'm not erasing anything. <laughs> if if, if you either confirmed or deny what he's about to well, say, my understanding my understanding is if your guys aren't aren't hitting certain uh, metrics, yeah, you know they don't get a sales book, right? If they're if they're not, you know, playing the game correctly, if they're not reporting their their sales and their no sales, if they're not selling their club memberships, if they're not doing everything down the line, they don't get a sales book. It's taken away, right? And so my understanding is he had a very high fidelity on the metrics as it relates to a selling tech, and he perfected that system. Now, I didn't have that, so I 
punted and and went to my direction. We made and we figured that one out. He's yep, correct. It was uh, a very unique program. Leland says this phrase. Dave Geiger says it differently. Leland says it's it's easy to do it. It's just easier not to do it. Uh, Dave would say it's simple, just not easy. But he's exactly right. You you move you move your way through our technician process, and then you have to earn the right to be able to sell for us. But that's not every company we have, you know. We but we like that we like that concept because we're if you fall off on any one metric, we'd say, hey, we need to pull you back to you know, to you know, triple A ball to have you go back through it again because you're burning leads for us. You're burning opportunities. Yeah, and and I think it really holds those uh, selling techs accountable to continually sharpen their saw, to continually play the game, you know, you execute the process, the game plan every single time not just willy-nilly, hey, I'm going to go sell a couple jobs today, make myself a couple grand today, and go home. Yep. You know, it's it's a, over at Service Champions, it's a career, not a flippant job, yep. you know. Yep, it's well said. Got it. Well, we are going to uh, tomorrow morning, we are on a panel together, all of us, and we're talking. We are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope uh, I feel a little better tomorrow the than I felt this morning. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're on a panel tomorrow, guys, just so you remember. Um, that is why we're here. <laughs> but uh, about you know this potential of a of a down economy recession or whatever you know that is is coming. But um, I think we learned a few things the last few years, and that's how incredibly important having a strong brand really is, and that certainly is helpful. But uh, I mean, are you guys really worried about this potential market correction? Like, are you really concerned about any of that? Is it? I, you know, I think it's a, you know, spent, a, it a spent, spent, spent my life. We've seen a couple of them, certainly Ken's, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I can remember even back to 89 and 90, you know, early nineties growing up doing this, you know, I remember that, you know, aged yourself. I'm the only 48 year old with 40 years of HVAC experience. So, uh, you know, look, I, 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 we view it as an opportunity. Do I think there's zero thought about it? No, we're always going to gauge what, you know, people are doing in the homes, but I would say, what we know, and and I'd be interested to hear Ken's answer, but I think if you run really good businesses or you, you believe that you're doing the right things for customers, et cetera, that it's an opportunity to take market share. Yeah. Now, the sales process is going to get tougher. People are going to yeah. shop, et cetera. But typically what happens, you know, it's a, I don't know how many billions anymore. It's 60 or $70 billion, you know, opportunity in our industry. And when you look at the, you know, the private equity backed firms were, you know, call it, 15 billion of it, you know, there's this massive, smaller shop, um, good businesses that are there that chose to stay private. Typically, one of the first things you see them do, though, is because their house or their name is on the line, they start to cut things. They start to cut marketing, they start to cut, you know, they watch hours and, you know, you get it. Like, you're, I defend that thought process, because it's, you know, it's very, uh, unnerving to spend money uh, when things are going the opposite way. We we are that way. We're going to, you know, we've beefed up. We went into our budgets in 2023 with more marketing funds available. And because we felt like if there's a downturn, we're going to mash the gas. We think we'll take share. The businesses will grow. So we view it as an opportunity, not because we're good and they're not. It's just, it's just a matter of the economics in, you know, what we have available for capital and things behind us. 
I'm not really worried about it. You know, I think if the media would just stop saying there's going to be, <laughs> like everybody would just spend money and it'd be okay or well, like they've been well. doing. I mean, you you come here and you go out to dinner, especially, you know, Southern California. Like you can't, you can't move. Like you can't get in a reservation. So I, I don't know. I mean, I... Granted, you'd say, well, that's Southern California. We own businesses all over the country, and we don't have that situation. So I'm cognizant of it. I'm just not caught up in the fact that, you know, I'll quote, you know, Mark Aiken said, like, we're just not going to play that game. We have to have a different mindset. But there's opportunity in it. Um, but, you know, we're aware of it. I just I don't think it's the impact that, you know, people, you know, put this dark cloud over that here's what's going to happen. Right. Well, Based on Bourbon Street last night, there's no recession. <laughs> or this afternoon when I came over here, like, this the streets are jammed. So, Ken, I, what do you think? Well, um, so 2008, 9, and 10, the Great Recession, I was doing a project with ARS, and I had uh, seven of their underperforming businesses, total uh, $30 million in revenue. Um, and so I took those three businesses, and I grew them for the three years, 8, 9, and 10. The results were we took it from – 30 million to 80 million on the top and 3 million to 14.3 million on the bottom during eight, nine and 10, when the whole world was falling apart yep. in the Southwest U S in Phoenix, Vegas, the same kind of footprint we play in today where the housing market really got crushed more than a lot of other places. So we're, we are in a uh, res very resilient business. That said, I'll say this. If, if you're running your business like a business person, which is frugal and based on efficiency, and you're, you're making sure that you're driving towards optimizing results um, and not cutting, but leading and optimizing results, you should put 25% to the bottom line. That's the target. And there should be no change in that if we have, have a slowdown, if you're running your business properly. That's what I say. 25%. Did you hear that? Now, <laughs> now we that, agree. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you this, to your point, Frank, in 8, 9, and 10, when everybody pulled in their horns, I, you know, I pushed the throttle forward, and we just spent marketing. We yep. just went after them, and we took business. There might have been, might, not, might have not been new business, but we took business that was yep. being unattended to by other companies. And so uh, same thing, you know, we're all, you know, we got a big war chest right now ready, but right now I'm really working on the efficiency so we don't even have to dig into the war chest. And yep. I'm pretty comfortable we won't have to. Agreed. I feel the same way. Uh, hopefully that we, I don't think we'll have to. Well, you, you guys both kind of said something that I am hundred percent in agreement with. And that was, I started the co our company in 2008 and we kind of took off because people were like people who weren't ready to make the the jump from say yellow pages or whatever to internet were starting to look for other paths then and so they went the website route so it was a good time to start my business but then as the pandemic hit it was let's double down because people are going to be afraid and pull back and now you can take a big chunk of share if you just kept going and uh, that's exactly what, like, what happened. It was, I mean, these last few years have been, like, unprecedented years for the home services space as a, as a whole. But I'm a big believer in you double down when, you know, if somebody's, because you think this is a mindset game, right? This is still a mindset game that we're in, like you're talking about. Yep. It's sound, you know, the media makes it sound worse than it actually 
really is based on what it, what I see. But that's going to get to some people, and they're going to be more conservative. Sure. Now, I will say that this first quarter has probably been the toughest first quarter I can remember uh, across the United States just in regards to, like, demand being lower um, overall. But same thing, foot to the floor, because those people are going to – you still got to – there's still plenty out there to go get. It's just who's going to – Who's gonna go get go yeah. after it and go get it? Um, so I'm gonna just do one more quick shift, okay? Since we're kind of talking about this whole marketing thing, um, you guys both have great brands, which certainly is helpful in any business, just with conversions, things like that. Because like, you got brand equity, so you have trust. What kind of marketing mix are you guys looking at this year? Because I mean, you had like in Southern California, it was a weird ass first quarter there. There's been so much rain happening there. You can't get the technicians to go to the house. Like, you, it, it was a weird year, right? Yeah. Um, but the weird start to the year. <clears throat> I don't know. You know. I'm in a few different text message groups with some, you know, a lot of big players, too, and everybody's experiencing similar things. But the one thing that is consistent is everyone's still hammering marketing, like hammering it. So, like, what is the uh, – and I'm a fan of that, by the way, <laughs> especially digital marketing. <clears throat> but – you have to do that, right? Like you get still got to like just because you have a great brand, you can't just rely on that. You still got to like hammer home on the marketing. But what's your guys' like marketing mix? What are the things that you're you're doing? I know that um, I see Ken on TV when I wake up, and I even see Duncan on TV when I wake up, <laughs> and he looked super happy on that commercial. <laughs> um, but what is like the marketing mix that that you guys are are doing right now? Like, are you heavy on one thing now? Are you getting ready? I mean, we're getting ready to go into summer. We finally got some heat, you know, in our markets. But what's the what are you guys doing? What's what's the mix? Well, for us, uh, you know, I'm leaning heavy in the brand. I always have been a brand player, and so the best way to get the brand out, a brand message out, is mass media, radio, uh, radio, TV, cable. Um, so we're still heavy into that, you know, and because it costs more per impression than digital, you know, most of our money will head that way. We still are going to be, we have a very uh, heavy and robust digital strategy that we're deploying right now. Uh, we are, we're going back to direct mail. We have, um, you know, our roots came from direct mail. You know, we used to, uh, you know, play a direct mail game every single week for 52 weeks a year and just, you know, send it to particular zip codes and different neighborhoods and zones and measuring the performance of that. So, we're adding some of that back there, but mainly, maybe, mainly to support our brand, right? You know, I'm trying to get out there and relate to customers and connect to them on a personal level, and those are the best mediums for that. And then, you know, you're going to pick us up on di- digital, um, looking for our for our name. Got it. You guys do, do a big direct mail thing too, right? Yeah, that was, you know, in most of the markets, that's consistent, and that's not something we drive into the brands. That's just what we find. Uh, again, back to that was kind of Leland's pitch was the direct mail. You, you'd think it fades, but in the demographic we look at, it's still, uh, you know, very, you know, well utilized and the good return. Our mixes, you know, really say the same. Very, sounds very similar, uh, you know, to what Ken's doing. Um, you know, there's a digital in, in bigger markets. You have to, if you're going to be on TV, you have to spend X amount or else you're just lost, you know, in LA specifically, it's a, it's a, it's challenging, but we put the service champions brand, even though we have multiple brands in those markets. Um, but it's still the same classic, you know, we're going to do direct mail or digital we're working on. Um, ironically, you know, to his point about brand, 
um, we don't have call to action. We, we don't have call to action advertising. Like that's just not what we've done. We, we advertise like we have great technicians and why you want to use us, but we don't say like, Hey, find your lowest price. <laughs> you know, every system, 25, 90, you know, we just, we don't do that stuff. We're going to say, Hey, why we're the best to deal with, um, recognize our individual brands. But again, I think it's direct mail, digital, um, there's branding and all of that. Um, but we've been consistent even with, you know, the headwind in the first quarter. And, and I think back to Ken made a point earlier just to say that, you know, the marketing is only so only effective. You can throw anything you want, <laughs> you know, into the market when it's perfect or when it's raining and that's a headwind, like you, you could, you could tell them it's free. I mean, people are just like, I don't care. Don't come to my house. You <laughs> yeah, know, leave me alone. So, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> Um, it's the execution and the discipline in the business with efficiency and metrics. And that to me, and he was making the point about what's going on with marketing, but for us, that's, if we do that and we do that consistently, like we do 12 months out of the year, we'll, we'll work our way through even the toughest periods. And so our first quarter was, uh, I would say very solid. You know, I always have high expectations. I'm again, unapologetic for those, but we, we have high expectations and we think we fared you know, pretty well relative to talking to some of the other people. But again, I'll go back to Ken's point about Leland. We never relied on weather. We, we'd love to have a tailwind, but like it's... You never we, had weather. Yeah, so there was never weather to start <laughs> when you're doing a massive tune-up and you're doing that and we do it on all the, you know, the brands and a lot of agreements, it certainly helps. You know, you know what's interesting? Um, when I first got in business, the, the, old, the old guys look down on anyone who advertised because the old guys operating like word of mouth word of is mouth. the best form of advertising. <laughs> if you have to advertise, yeah. you're not doing good. Right. Yeah. And, and it, they would look down on you for advertising and how I got in the advertising game is the, the yellow page girl came over and, you know, she was very beautiful. And, <laughs> she, you know, I said, well, let's quit talking about this uh, yellow page thing. And let's, why don't we just, go on a date. And she said, if you buy a full page ad, I'll go on a date with you. And I didn't even know what a full page ad or how much it costs. They said, fine, I'll do a full page ad. And I signed it. I didn't even look at the cost and we went out. Right. <laughs> well, six months later, is this, this is not recommended. <laughs> six months. I love that we're recording it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six months later, the bill comes, it was $6,480. I'm like, what? I'm just starting out, but I couldn't cancel it. So, the ad came out and my phone started ringing off the hook and I had to hire a bunch of technicians and we immediately soared to the top uh, of contractors in Las Vegas in the first 18 months from that full page ad. And that's what kind of got me hooked on marketing. Where is she today? She's like a good salesperson. <laughs> Sounds like we, I need to get catch up with Ken for a drink and hear the rest of that story. <laughs> oh, hi, Wendy. <laughs> This right. is way before Wendy. <laughs> I figured as much. Just uh, for some reference, Wendy Goodrich is sitting right behind Ken. <laughs> uh, great story. Good job. Full page ad. Some of these guys have no idea what the hell that even is. <laughs> People listening. Thank God. Well, it's the point. It's the point. It, what the point is, is that, you know, here's what everyone needs to understand in the contract or home service business today. The, the, the game's <clears throat> changed, right? When I started... If you advertised, you were a creep. Today, you got to have a full repertoire of mediums to advertise in, 
drilling in the metrics every single day and just it has to be a key component of the business or you will not be successful. You know, now that we're, most of our most of the competition is armed with big war chests, you know, I'd hate to be somebody that uh, has missed this point because you won't you won't make it. It seems weird that it would be looked down upon to advertise your business. I don't know. That's what it, way it was. Did you experience yeah, something like growing that? Growing up, I mean, it, it, I laughed when you said it, but <laughs> the reality also was, though, Ken, there was no, like, what's the biggest business you remember? when, Like, when I was young, the biggest business was probably the Isaac Brothers over in New York. I lived in Ohio, and, you know, the rumor was they were like $20 million. That might as well have been $200 million <laughs> yeah, right yeah, back yeah. in. Yeah. And so today, I think, you know, post you know, the, the late nineties, uh, where people got together and said, Hey, we could do this. We could do this better track better. And then I, but yeah, I grew up with like it, people knew my dad, they knew my grandfather. And so that's how we did business. And, um, you know, I don't recall it being looked on, but my dad's favorite thing was to negotiate with like the, the yellow page people because <laughs> it was just like a, it was like a 15 round fight yeah, yeah. over the price. And, you know, here we are today and it's, People don't even know what it is. You know, people don't know what it is. <laughs> so, but yeah, I remember that. Exactly. Double truck, triple truck. That's where yeah. I started in marketing was in Yellow Pages, just as it, it was you know, early 2000s. You know, in Las Vegas, <clears throat> here's a fun fact. In Las Vegas, there's two, there's two phone books published a year, not just one, because a, the majority of revenue they get off is the escort services, right? <clears throat> and so, but the escort services would would get shut down so fast that they'd have to have another book in six months <laughs> and they get paid again. That is not Two bucks the strategy country. behind I've them. Obviously not, I've on, obviously not been on. out with Ken for enough drinks because the story <laughs> yes, I'm, now I'm really intrigued. Like I gotta get together and hear more of this stuff. I don't think that the yellow page publisher built the strategy around the escort business. One hundred percent. They built it around that in Las Vegas. Go call one of your, no, one of your no, yellow page people. No, I call bullshit, but whatever. Uh, okay, there could be some truth to that maybe in Las Vegas, but I think it's a stretch. When you had like 60, 60 double trucks. <laughs> double trucks. That, by the way, for our listeners, that's that's a two-page ad. <laughs> double truck. Double truck. <laughs> and they were expensive back in the day. Expensive for those. All right, we're about 45 minutes in this thing, too. I'm going to ask uh, one last question for you guys. And... Um, and then, and then uh, we'll figure out who we can uh, recommendations from you guys on who should like we should get on here next to have a little battle. Um, but a lot of technology in the space right now, and I'm loving. Leela, uh, we we should have uh, Ishmael and Victor. <laughs> Ishmael and Victor, that's my vote. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> All right, there, there it is. Do you second the motion? I, I mean, Ken's been really good recommendations and stories, like, for sure. I yeah, second that. Um, is this a live and in-person? <laughs> I mean, I make, I'll make it happen. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to make it, to make that work. Um, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to make that one happen, okay? It's the first the uh, Rhino cage match. <laughs> yeah, I might have to actually do that one virtual. Don't think about it. We may need to keep that one virtual. All right, last question. I want to get to this technology piece of it because there's a lot of cool technology in the space right now, too. And I love having the conversations about all the technology in the space. Uh, and it keeps getting more and more advanced, right? Like even with this, in my world, like with the chat GPT shit that's coming out and uh, or that's here. And um, But what kind of what kind of new technology are you guys flirting with? Like is there some... 
Or is there something that you guys have been you've implemented recently that's making the business more efficient? Like, I mean, I'm talking like the CRMs. I'm not talking about that. Like, but is there any other technology that you guys are using? I know I've had conversations with Ken about some different stuff, and um, there's just a lot of neat things out there. But there's also a lot of shiny objects. What are you guys leveraging? You doing to leverage technology? You know, the big conversation we have is um, exactly to your point is trying to sort through, you know, what's legitimate and yeah. what, uh, you know, is, is, you know, a paper tiger. So, a uh, paper tiger? Yeah, it's not a real one. <laughs> you can smash them. Got it. That didn't get the reference. But That's right. Yeah, um, you. you know, I, look, I think when I look down the road at the businesses, our, our first goals, you know, we want to have you know, multiple trades in the business, right? Because that we can help still scale them. But at the end of the day, for me on HVAC, it's predictive information. Yeah. And so we, we've spent a fair amount of time just looking at, and, and we're not the only ones because it's out there. And I've seen a couple versions of it. But somewhere, right, we're going to all be faced with the fact that right now we wait, in essence, we wait for the phone to ring for the demand call. I'm starting to see a lot more software that can go on systems that can tell us what's coming up. And now we say, you know, Mr. Yano, let me, I, I notice, you know, we're seeing some high amp draw. Let us get out there and take a look at it. We, we haven't tested any of it yet, but it's out there. Um, and I've seen it, you know, over the last few years. But that, to me, is where the industry is going to start to go. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. There's, because you got to predict. People, time is the most valuable element for anybody, right? If you have to wait for it to break and then call us, you know, to me, that technology that, that's certainly, you know, big for us. I think the other one, and this is tricky, and we don't do any of it, but I've watched talked to a couple of companies that use, you know, technology besides FaceTime in the home to help a technician through a call. Because as well as quickly as we can build the technicians, that, that full technical element that they have to still learn takes them time and experience. And it's just something you can't bottle. They have to see it, uh, touch it, understand it. So... Uh, to me, it's the predictive element. And then two is some sort of, you know, video link or, you know, whether it's a, you know, the eyeglass cams or some kind of cam that tell you, hey, here's what you're working on. And it's a clear picture. We don't have it, but I've talked to a couple of companies that use it. They actually record everything in their call and, you know, store it on their software so they can go back and look. To me, if you, you know, there's a legality that I didn't ask them about, but somewhere, you know, that to me is where I, I can see, you know, things starting to go. So you, you'll have, you'll have one service manager sitting, you know, with a bank of, you know, six or eight cameras and he's helping guys in different homes. Now that's down the road, but we're, we're starting to see that. So those are the two things I see from technology. Okay. Um, well, I'm with you. Just here, here's what everybody needs to hear. Tech enabled companies, Stephen Gurley right here taught me this uh, a few years ago. Tech-enabled companies drive more value. And here we are in now in the stage of our industry where value creation is, you know, where the top companies, what they're thinking about every single day. How do I make this company more valuable for its stakeholders? And so tech-enabled companies drive more value three to five to ten more times turns, multiple turns than non-tech-enabled companies. So, you know, we had been working on this for, for ever since I purchased Gettle in 2013, where can I install tech enabling systems, enabled systems to help uh, increase our efficiency and, and our customer journey, things like that. So we have, you know, currently we run a, a product 
what we call digital Duncan, where the technicians are armed with their iPad and their seven uh, sensors. They're hooking up to the system. We have help desk back in Phoenix and all of my locations call into Phoenix and, you know, get coached on the repairs, get, get coached on how to, what to talk to the customer about. They talk to the customer sometimes. Every one of our installations is, is um, commissioned through the, the system and, um, you know, we get their baseline and we make sure it's installed to factory specifications, running to factory specs before we leave. So we, we installed that years ago. Uh, and it works great, and, and, it ha- and it helps us put out lower-skilled technicians in the field faster. Uh, now we're really digging into the whole predictive maintenance and really trying to tear apart the old Oligard uh, club membership model because, as you know, the challenge with it as you continue to grow your club base and you still have a motive to go out and get in the demand business, the club base, base sometimes can become a distraction or you don't, you're not able to get to them and really honor your promises to your customers. So now we're, we have been working with Smart AC and using Smart Maintenance, whereby we are uh, we, we install the device in their home, and now we're monitoring the system. And we'll go do the maintenance when the data tells us we should do the maintenance, especially on lower opportunity jobs, brand new equipment, for instance. Add to the next level of that, you take a smart AC device and you put it on every single new install you do. We'll do 20 plus thousand installs this year. Every single year, we're adding 20,000 monitored customers to our business, which then, again, another big value creator. So that's the the kind of things we're working on now. Yeah, that conversation was interesting. It is, I I do love seeing how different technologies are advancing the industry and um, obviously like the anytime you can involve tech and you get a bigger multiple well done um, but that whole conversation has been pretty interesting so shout out to smart AC <laughs> 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 I'll see you man so listen guys we're like uh, 55 minutes into this thing so I'm gonna go ahead and shut it down because I need a water <laughs> well, hey, let me t- let me say this as it, as it relates to service <clears throat> service champions both branches you know Northern California and I don't know they weren't owned by the same people but you know, they kind of shared some best practices, ran beautiful businesses. And I, and I compare myself to them a lot. I, I can do it faster. They just are so much better, more precision ran businesses that I've ever built. I, I admire how they built them. Um, uh, but I've been in the world, I'm, I've been in the world of buying uh, underperforming assets, fixing them, growing them fast and selling them. That's the world that I was that I, that's the game I'm playing, but the way that they built those two branches, as I would say, probably some of the best rent uh, businesses in the industry. Well done. Is he flirting with you? Oh, look! I think I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm giving it's, I'm it's, tribute more it's, to, to it's Leland. Certainly, the Leland, certainly to what yes. Leland's done. I think you it's know. Um, appreciate it. It's it's uh, it's it's good though that you have you know a lot of great peers in the industry right now, and I think our mm-hmm. job kind of to Ken's point, our job is to continue to drive to change the industry from what it's known, which is really just, you know, not fast to change. And we talk about technology and our job is to continue to be, you know, better providers of service, better employers. Um, so we, we appreciate it. And I think, look, I mean, Ken's a, been on all these panels, him, Leland, Dave, you name all those same guys. And my job is to continue to, you know, see if we can improve on that. 
and uh, you know, Service Champions is well known. We're you know, the one thing for us is we're changing the platform like the other ones. It, it won't be known as Service Champions. It'll be the Champions Group because um, Service Champions is the branch in Southern California. Right. And uh, you know, it's a great brand, but we have some really great brands. And uh, to Leland's credit, built a great business. But thanks, Ken. It's 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 good to hear. But there's a lot of people doing this really well. How do we all do more of it, get smarter, and, you know, continue to push, you know, how this industry can perform and change people's lives? Well, you by, guys. Uh, by the way, let me just make sure we give Kevin Comerford mm-hmm. his due as well. Beautiful Rand business, first class. Yep, I've had him. He was on one of the episodes earlier, or middle of last year. Great guy. Um, super sharp. Mm-hmm. Competed against him up there. <laughs> Yeah, all the di- all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed yep. in both service champions businesses, as far as I can see. Yep. Got it. Well, listen, I appreciate, um, one, my relationship with both of you guys, um, and thanks for taking the time to do this. Um, I'm sure Frank flew in just for this. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, thanks for the ride here, man. But the, uh, I mean, these are obviously, you know, for all the listeners, like these two are clearly titans in the industry and have been through it all and maybe um, different strategies or, you know, different things, but the end, the end result is they're both growing monster businesses. So it's not one size fits all. You can try different things, different technology, different management styles, different selling techs versus comfort advisors. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Like there's a way to, to scale all these things. And these guys are just giving you their opinions. So we've, we've, uh, we've confirmed uh, the next battle of the titans is going to be, I'm buying. I'm buying Ken a drink for that suggestion. <laughs> actually, no. several versus Victor. Now I have to actually ask them. So, but I bet you I can get it done. Bet you I can get it done, and that'll be a good one. So, maybe you guys should just co-host that one with me. <laughs> Let's just make it a little bit more interesting. <laughs> but I appreciate you guys. Thanks for taking the time to be here, and our listeners, obviously, for uh, for tuning in. And thank you for. Uh, working through this one with me because this one was probably the most rough one I've ever, I've ever done for to, to date, but <laughs> appreciate both of you guys too. I'm looking forward to our panel tomorrow. I know that uh, here at ACA um, that they put us at the end because they saved the best for last. So that's why we're tomorrow, by the way. Um, but anyway, I appreciate you guys and then to our listeners, obviously for, for listening over and over and over again and obviously leave reviews. Yeah, and we love to be able to share that with our guests. You don't have to do everything, but you got to do something. No zero days. Listeners, thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week. We are extremely grateful. Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really, really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, It's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, Here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and hit write a review. And be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.